This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is Mike White, and you can find me at I am Mike White on Twitter. <laughs> and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. The return. The return. I'm, and I'm back. Now, <laughs> now, okay, first of all, the welcome to the latest episode of The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com and check out the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, where I just finished a reasonably extensive uh, coverage of Indie Film Fest here in Indianapolis. Um so now, long-time listeners will know that Mike, uh, they know Mike's voice. Mike, hi. Hi, that's me. Hey. He's talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we've got you back for how long? Ever. You, you mentioned, uh, I don't want to put words in your <laughs> mouth, but you, you did mention, like, you have a little bit of time. For those, for newcomers, Mike is our... Uh, Guest or, or guest? Wow, I'm a he's guest. our host. No, 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 no. You have not been downgraded. You are our co-host <laughs> who, uh, some time ago, went on sabbatical. I did. Um, and so now he has returned for what he claims is uh, a few episodes. I, I think I don't know if that's <laughs> still the plan or not. Yeah, but I, like, uh, I feel <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like. 15 episodes, you know, I don't know oh, where no. you were going to go well, with that. What I was actually trying to go to, uh, go for with that. Cause, but I wasn't sure about the timing cause, uh, cause it's yeah. been a while since you mentioned it, but in the chat, you said, uh, for three to four episodes when you have some time off. And then I was going to, uh, comment that there was clearly a typo and that you didn't mean to hyphenate the three and four. So right. I will be back episodes. for 34 episodes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I'm, uh, I'm on my summer break. Uh, obviously from, from high school, teaching high school, but also, uh, from my master's classes. So I had a few weeks where I wasn't in school or doing school. So, uh, it's, yeah, three, I'm sticking with three or four. Um, we'll see, we'll see how it goes when, when school starts. Well, we are glad to have you back for any amount of time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. But, and we don't have to, let's not waste people's listening time with why I'm back. Let's talk about some sweet stuff. All right. Well, first of all, as I said, that we're a weekly movie and TV podcast, and we have a topic each episode, but this episode is a special episode in which we are doing extended potpourri. For our first time listeners, potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about basically anything that we've watched or anything that we're, we've been interested in, movie or TV related, anything we want as long as it smells good. And so these types of episodes, we've done several in the past, they're basically an elongated potpourri section where that covers the entire episode. So we're, we're basically just going to go round robin, talk about things that we've watched lately. Um, we will warn you if we go into spoiler territory, but um, if there's any topics you don't want to, don't want to hear us talk about, just check the show notes. We have timestamps for every discussion. So, Oh, and before, before we begin, uh, two th three things. One, Shocktober in Irvington 2 is happening, October 16th. You can find more information at shocktoberinirvington.com if you're in the Indianapolis area. It's a local event that we're hosting. 
at the Irving Theater in Irvington to benefit the Irvington Historical Society. Uh, more information is at shocktoberinirvington.com. We just set up the event page on Facebook, so do that. And then also subscribe to the subreddit for Obsessive Viewer at r slash Obsessive Viewer. And be on the lookout for my solo side project podcast anthology coming in next week. Or Yeah. Nice. Holy crap, that was a lot of words. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, never. Yes. So, that was a lot of words in like four minutes. Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's going to be fun listening to it at 1.6 speed later. But anyway, so, Mike, since you are, since the, uh, since you're the prodigal son returning, uh, <laughs> why don't you get us kicked off with our extended potpourri? What do you got for us? Um... Shoot, man. So what I said when I came on here was there's not a whole lot I could talk about. Uh, and I want to stay fairly recent. I didn't even see a movie last week because I was on vacation in Portland with my wife and her mm-hmm. family. So I'll talk about uh, the the show that was The Gallows. Because <laughs> <laughs> nice. I guess it's the most relevant, uh, and I'm using that term lightly, <laughs> of the movies that I've seen recently. So I saw The Gallows. Uh, which stars Kathy Lee Gifford's daughter and a bunch of other teenagers. <laughs> and I, man, I, I hate to cut a review short and I hate to just be, uh, um, dismissive and, uh, super reductive, but it was a show. I mean, it was really, um, like, as a fan of horror and and someone who takes reviewing movies seriously and and um especially horror you you kind of go into a horror movie um knowing what you're going to get and if you get a really exceptional horror movie then it's kind of a treat you know people talk about Babadook and mm-hmm. um it follows but um it, most of the time it's kind of crappy it's kind of b level it's almost always b level um and so you know that going in, but I think you still expect a certain level um, of quality, and and this didn't even hit that. The characters were annoying. It was. Um, I feel like every time a found footage movie comes out, they call it like the bottom of the barrel. They call it the last straw of the found footage genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would definitely say this about the Gallows as well. But we know we're going to get another one, and we know we're going to get a worse found footage movie. So. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll hold my breath on that to say it's the that's it that that's going to kill found footage but um j- just another example of found footage doing nothing for uh horror or nothing for movies in general uh, if you don't know the gallows the gallows is uh it's about this high school inexplicably is putting on a play 20 years or so after the play was originally staged at this school in which one of the characters died. Uh, he, it, the gallows, it's about, uh, a hangman and this, and this guy who's trying to run away, but he's about to be hung or hanged. Uh, and he is hanged at the end, but the, the contraption that was to spare his life, uh, in that it is fictional and a stage show at a high school breaks down and it, it kills him. So this high school is haunted by the ghost of it. Um, it tries a little weird twist at the end, um, but there is there is so much ridiculousness shoehorned in that the whole thing feels gimmicky, um, and it's just terrible. The, I, more than anything, I get I can't get past um, really bad acting in horror movies. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of times 
bad movies and bad scripts are at least elevated to a watchable status by competent actors. This didn't even have that. This this had oh, teenagers who will probably not be in other things. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that terrible. It, wow. So I don't know. I just I just hated it so much. Did either of you guys see it? No. No, I saw a trailer for it. Like, uh, when was this? This was probably, uh, crap, I can't remember what movie I saw it before, but I remember seeing a trailer and I remember thinking that I can't remember what the song was playing over, but it was like a, a cover of, was it Teenage Wasteland? Yeah. No. Yeah. A cover of, uh, was it a Nirvana? Smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah, yeah, I think that yes. was it. And uh, and like I remember thinking, like you know, that's a that's a pretty nice like mood, and that's looks like uh, I I remember thinking, man, that 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 like that cover of that song is uh, a disservice to the <laughs> movie that this looks like it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I gotta say, when I initially saw the trailer, I was like, okay, this will be a this will be a passable. Uh, 2015 horror movie. You know, a la Ouija, which I think is passable. Annabelle, which we discussed on here, that had one or two uh pretty effective scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, there are really <laughs> there are bad horror movies that have a few passable scenes. Like clearly, they used the the pe- most passable scenes uh in the trailer, uh and and we were all duped into thinking <laughs> it was going to be something that it wasn't. You mean so, Annabelle? What's that? Annabelle? No. no. Or are you talking uh, about the gallows? Gallows. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, when I saw the trailer, I didn't. I didn't think much of it. I thought that it looked like it would be an interesting Netflix instant in Shocktober. <laughs> um, yeah. But it didn't really do anything for me in terms of you know anything except for the music in, in the trailer. Right. I don't even well, remember seeing the trailer ever. Really? I probably really? did, but it just it was so off my radar. I was just like, I don't care. I only saw it once, so I don't even think it was a big push. Yeah. Um Yeah. So you would not recommend seeing No, strong not <laughs> recommend. Please don't see it. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I and I I also feel I feel like it was so bad that even teenagers going to see it wouldn't like it. <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's for them and Ugh. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's a shame. Yep. That's a shame. So, all right, that's a firm not recommend on the gallows from Mike. Do uh, not see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. tiny. Do you want to? Do you want to? I'd love to. Nice. Uh, my first uh, selection is the movie called Happy Valley. It is a documentary from last year. Oh, nice. Um, it's about the uh, the whole scandal that occurred at uh, Penn State University that revolved around um, the defensive coordinator Jerry Sandusky being arrested and eventually convicted of uh, child sex abuse charges. Um, it was a really well done documentary. Um, it was directed and written by Amir Barlev. I don't know who I, I, that name sounds familiar. He may have done hmm. something else that was noteworthy, but um, he he did a good job and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of, you kind of forget about, um, the fact that you're watching a movie and you just kind of focus on the information and, and the controversy and several controversies that surrounded this event and, and, and all that. Um, so he did a great job in that respect. And, and I was just really, I was really pleased with the thoroughness that to which this controversy was explored. Um, if you're unaware a couple years ago, um, the defensive coordinator for, uh, 
Penn State University's football team was um, arrested and, and charged uh, with uh, child sex abuse uh, mm-hmm. over many years. Um, there was a um, someone caught him actually in the he was in the Penn State facilities. I think he was in the locker room and he was doing something of a sexual nature to a boy in the actual showers of their locker room. Um, and so the controversy does not lie with, you know, how he was treated or how the media handled it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was an awful man, an evil person who did evil things repeatedly and didn't seem to be very remorseful about them. Uh, the controversy surrounds how it was handled by, uh, the higher ups at Penn state, uh, most famously, uh, Joe Paterno. Uh, Joe Paterno is the longtime head coach, was the longtime head coach of Penn State uh, football. He's the longest, uh, longest running coach ever. Like he had the long, the most, the most seasons. I think it was in the 40s or 50 seasons, something like that at uh, Penn Jeez. State University. He had the most wins of any coach ever. Uh, just mm-hmm. a real legendary coach. And uh, the person who caught Coach Sandusky doing those awful things reported it to Joe Paterno. And Joe Paterno reported it to the athletic director, uh, which is all he was legally and and uh, professionally required to do. Um, where the controversy lies is he once he reported it to the um, the athletic director, nothing really happened. Um, I think the assault hap- the assault that was witnessed happened over ten years ago, or like a really long time ago. Um, and he was not arrested until 2013, 2014. Jeez. Um, and so, yeah, Joe Paterno essentially knew about this and I turned a blind eye to it. In a way, I mean, the the thing that the documentary did really well is that it kind of presented the few facts that we have. There's a few facts we know, mm-hmm. and at this point, all we can really do is just base it on our opinion. We know that Joe Paterno knew that Jerry Sandusky was a pedophile and rapist and had used campus grounds to conduct his evil things. And when he wasn't arrested for it and he wasn't properly reported to the authorities, Joe Paterno didn't do anything right to, you know, kept him on staff and everything. Right. Kept him on staff. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't do anything like that. That's, I mean, that's a fact Mm -hmm. that that happened. And so the argument that most people have, including myself, is that he should have done more. Right. When he reported it to his athletic director, he should have, you know, been like, okay, it's been two weeks. Why is he not in handcuffs right now? And he should have gone to the police or whoever and done more. And and right. that's that's what most people's opinions are. And that's why Joe Paterno was eventually fired. Um, he was... Was he fired or did he step down? Oh, he down? was fired, yeah. Okay. He was fired and he... Uh, huh. They took away his wins. They took away their... That's right. ...championships. Um they they tore down his statue that they had in front of the stadium. Right. I mean, they I remember that. Yeah, they tried they tried to wipe Joe Paterno away. Um, it's it's really unfortunate. Um, because I I mean, I, just just my opinion. I think the guy made a mistake. He should have done mm-hmm. more, but I don't think he needed to take the take away the guy's wins. I think he should have mm-hmm. been. I think he should have been fired. Um, but I. I don't think you should take away his wins. I don't think you should try to change history. You know, yeah. those those guys actually went out there and scored those touchdowns and won those games. Doesn't really have anything to do with Joe Paterno, um, right? I don't know. I don't think they should have uh, 
punished him so harshly. The other controversy is that the NCAA came down really, really hard on Penn State. Uh, mm-hmm. They took away their, their – they weren't allowed to go to a bowl game for five seasons. Oh, wow. Uh, they took away a bunch of their scholarships. Um, they fined them like 50 or $60 million. Um, huh. They really – really screwed over Penn State. I, I, I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly disagree with what they did to Penn mm-hmm. State because um, it was just the actions of a couple people that was the wrongdoing at this university. It wasn't it wasn't the team as a whole. It wasn't the, the athletic department or the university itself. It was just a couple people who did a bad thing, and they really just came down too hard on them. Um, and the documentary explores all that really well. It interviews... Um, players and uh family of joe paterno and students and people who inv- who were involved in the riots and stuff like that and um it's a really compelling documentary i think even if you're not a sports fan it's it's a pretty good watch um mm-hmm. and it's currently on netflix instant right? it is on netflix instant yeah it's really good. it's called happy valley which happy valley is the nickname for the valley where penn state uh college is it college station what's the name of the, gosh what's the town of pennsylvania College Ooh. something, College Town, College Station, Pennsylvania, where Penn State University is. Um, it's nicknamed Happy Valley. Okay, um, that an, sounds like such a made up thing. Like yeah. College Town, USA. It's an it's a very ironic name now, yeah. given what happened. But uh, but yeah, I, I I just appreciated the way the documentary just kind of laid everything out and didn't it didn't have an agenda. Nice. Um, there were people they interviewed who did have an agenda and were very upset mm-hmm. about something, but uh, I thought I thought it was really well done. Nice. I I might have to check that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very dark, dark subject matter, obviously. But yeah, um, I mean, the media attention for that. I mean, it'll be interesting to see that to see something, take it and and package it and deliver it to someone uh, after having so much media attention at it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see that. Mike, cool. if you have any experience with uh, watching this or anything like that, no. Okay. No, I hadn't even heard of it. Nice. That's awesome, though. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, so that, that'll bring it to me for, for this round of uh, extended potpourri. Um, I mentioned last week on the episode that I went to opening night of Indie Film Fest. And uh, Indie Film Fest, for, the, for people who didn't hear last week, is uh, we podcast out of Indianapolis with Mike Skyping in from Evansville. Um, and Indie Film Fest is, they've done this for 12 years now. This is the 12th year that they've done it, I think. Um, it's a local... Indianapolis Film Festival. It has basically, it's, it's, they used to be called the Internet, Indie, Indie International Film Fest. But they have, uh, independent films from all over the world, um, all uh, spread over 10 days, uh, screenings all throughout every day for those 10 days at the Indianapolis Museum of Art and some screenings at the, uh, IMAX downtown in Indianapolis, which is the, uh, the only true, uh, 70 millimeter IMAX projector in Indiana, I believe, and uh, also the biggest screen in the state. Um, yep. So anyway, so Indie Film Fest, I mentioned last week that the opening film was uh, Sleeping with Other People, and <laughs> like I mentioned last week that I, I like I spoke very highly of it, and I still stand by that. It was such a great movie. Definitely see it when it comes out um, in a wide release in September. But... I also saw a lot of other things there. I went to five different movie screenings and then also a uh, a short film screening and then also the awards night and uh, closing night with with uh, with Tiny on Saturday. So 
basically for this potpourri, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a couple for each round and kind of just talk about them, and then uh, and then we can move on to the next person, and then I'll come back and talk more about it uh, on my turn. So I'm gonna pick two movies that I talked that I saw um, on Friday night of Indie Film Fest, the opening night was last last Thursday um, or the week before, whatever. Um, so I saw this movie called Chrysalis. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, but every time, every time I think about it in my head, I think I, for some reason, I want to say Mary Chrysalis. Um, it's so dumb. But anyway, Chrysalis is this post-apocalyptic movie about, uh, about two survivors in this kind of zombie apocalypse, kind of infected 28 days later style apocalypse. But the, the kind of, the, the twist on it on the on this convention is that it's set decades after it's happened so there's like this like the world is basically dead and they're kind of wandering around trying to find uh you know trying to find shelter trying to find food all that stuff so it's these two people and they're uh it's a man and a woman and you don't really know until about 15 20 minutes in that they're a couple and the way that they the way that I, the movie was just okay. I, I rated it. I, I wrote reviews. I did a full coverage of, uh, all the stuff that I saw at Indie Film Fest on obsessiveviewer.com. You can check it out, uh, on the Indie, Indianapolis Film Events tab. But, um, what I really appreciated about Chrysalis was the way that they demonstrated how they are a couple because you don't know until about 15, 20 minutes in that, like, she gets her period in a very, you know, visual way um and that's when that's kind of our entry point like that she's she's upset because she's she's we don't know this until she says it but she's miscarried she was pregnant and all that so from there it's you know it's kind of standard fare it's it's low budget so it's a little hard to get into and and by the end it gets into a lot of like really uh tropish stuff um and it telegraphs where it's going to end up like pretty early in the movie. And that it kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, but they do stumble across another survivor who is, uh, she's infected. She's like a carrier for the, for it. And, uh, I guess this is, this could be a spoiler, but, um, she has a place, uh, she, she knows of a place that, that her group is meeting up at. So the whole movie is them journeying to this place and the whole time they're getting more frequent attacks. And it was, a, it was a pretty interesting slant on, on the, uh, infected genre. But I mean, I, I rated it a five out of five or 5.5 out of 10. Um, and you know, it was just okay. It was, it was pretty solid. I will say that the, the landscapes, the post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic landscapes were really like, well done like it looked like really convincing uh really convincing landscapes and stuff the second movie i'm going to bring up as uh, uh for this round is just really briefly uh noah bombach's uh mistress america which comes out in a couple weeks here i think um it's he's known for like uh he did a movie called kicking and screaming uh not the will ferrell one but another one an indie one um and also francis ha and uh, uh, when we were when we're young, I think, or we, we were young. I th- ben I think Stiller. Was... When we're young. Yeah, yeah. Also, or Greenberg. While also, we're young. While we're young. Young. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. So he's known for he. Those are that's his his repertoire. And I've really only seen Kicking and Screaming, so I I didn't really know quite what to expect. But Mistress America is really interesting because it's about this girl who's kind of this timid freshman in in college who is uh, just declined from a from a literary society in her school. 
And so she meets or, or she's she's goaded by her mother to make friends with uh, Greta Gerwig's, Gerwig's character, who is this kind of free spirit, free spirit, 30, 30 something girl who lives in New York City, who is going to be the main character's uh, future sister in law because her her mother's about to marry her father. So that's kind of the setup for it. Uh, the first act is kind of structured and. A pretty pretty standard like oh this this young this young girl's me is like kind of not really uh she's developing a muse in in Greta Gerwig's character and so so they kind of like you know it's kind of some hero worship there and all that stuff but the middle section of the movie is so awesome it's uh it takes a turn to where um a group of characters are going to this house in Connecticut and once they reach the house it's seriously like like mind blowing, maybe not mind blowing, but it's just like really pitch perfect dialogue and just snappy delivery and really, really fast paced. It's, it's plays out. There's, there are scenes that play out like it's a stage play. And it's really fascinating because it's, or it's really, really well executed because there's so many things going on in these scenes where like we have like about six people on screen in each, like each grouping, there's like two or three people in each group that are doing like something completely different and independent of the others and having their own little personal conflicts with each other. And they're kind of talking, like doing fast paced dialogue and it's a static shock or a static shot. And all of these things are happening intertwine, inter, uh, intermittently in, in like, but there's no overlap and it's just really well timed and really impressive, really impressive filmmaking and really impressive, uh, acting and, and, and screenwriting in that. It was, it was really, really impressive. Um, so yeah, that was good. I rated it a 7.0 out of 10. Uh, the last act is kind of, kind of goes back into kind of standard kind of drama and, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Nice. Whew. Cool. Um, Mike, what do you what, you want to you want to you want to go next? Yeah, I thought <laughs> you were going to ask me to weigh in, and I was going to say, uh, "Oh no." Uh, Have you seen While We're Young or anything like that? No, I haven't. Okay. I know that we we tried to see it um, while I was in theaters a while ago, but we missed it. Okay, because I know yep. that I, like I didn't realize that he that Noah Baumbach had all of these titles in his in his filmography and i really only know him from kicking and screaming i i own it i i think it's a little just okay i, I haven't revisited in any, anything but i think this mistress america is kind of going to make me going to go through uh his his uh past work and kind of see how i feel about it because i really was really quite impressed with it gotcha cool yep cool cool yeah so what do you got uh, for us yeah i'll go next um I don't I don't want to like step on your toes if you have any ideas but uh <laughs> can we talk about the Scream TV show? <laughs> Please, can we? Yes. Yeah, let's let's do it. You right. you are one you're an episode ahead of me, right? I believe I, so, yes. I you I'm watched caught. last week's episode. Yes. Um man, oh jeez. I really want to like it. I mm. I'm trying and I don't know why and I'll probably continue to like it, but Man, it's missing a lot. Um, and my initial feelings that I might be too old for it have been absolutely confirmed. Really? All the hashtags yeah, and the it, trending topics and the podcasts and <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 
No, just the way they talk and and the things that are important to high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the things I, I like about the Scream movies, and and maybe it's because I saw them at the right time. In fact, it's probably because I saw them at the right time. But uh, not only was it funny, and not only was it a commentary, it, it was also scary, or at least it felt scary. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. like keep you up at night, terrifying, but. Um, it, you know, it was, they were scary movies. The show is not nearly scary enough for they, what did the guy say in the first episode about just, ta- just dragging it out into a, um, into a series. It, it's not doing it successfully. One, one scary scene a week is, is not enough. And, uh, um, how much can we spoil? How much do you want to spoil? Um, I don't know. Uh, don't go into specifics. I'll say this. I'll say this. Deaths. An important character died. Uh, 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 another important character died <laughs> in episode three at the end of okay. episode three. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they spent the episode uh, garnering sympathy for that character, but not the previous two. And um, maybe we'll have more sympathy for some of them later on as they start to be the the extensive cast is whittled away. Mm-hmm. But at this time, they're all just so such interchangeable, pretty people that it's just not. I, I don't care about any of them specifically. In fact, especially the 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 two dudes who have some oh my god nefarious internet business Ugh. that nobody on the internet has any idea what it is or <laughs> or cares at all about it god they're awful i they're yeah at, like at this point if they're the killers i'll uh scream one oh. I, i'm not sure if i'll i'll love it because i'm so off their mm-hmm. off their trail um or or i'll hate it because it's so fucking obvious and stupid <laughs> <laughs> Wow. You, know, you know what's have you been reading any of my uh, reviews that I've been posting? I read the first one and then okay. I and then I stopped. Okay, understandable. But you know, something interesting happened to me. Uh, I'll walk you through. I've written three reviews. I, I'm still really bad about keeping up with the reviews. The next episode at the time of this recording airs tomorrow, so I'm gonna basically when we're done recording, I'm gonna rewatch the episode, take some notes, and then spend tomorrow at work writing up the, the review and posting it when I get home from work. So mm-hmm. I did. I had an interesting experience. Um, if you don't mind me going, do you have anything more to say? About no, this? please. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, I'd rather I'd rather discuss than, okay. than wax. So. The first episode didn't didn't really do much for me. Uh, I kind of thought like, okay, this is this is, it's really it's really getting on my nerve. It was really getting on my nerves whenever they tried to do something uh, that would make a nod to the movies, like the like little things, like when when uh, the the first the first murdered girl when her mom comes home if you notice like the mom screams and she does like the thing with her hands it's like mimicking exactly what uh drew barrymore's mother uh did when she was clutching the phone when she saw casey hanging from the tree in the first one and like uh and like they tried to shoehorn in the the randy character and and it was kind of like the pop culture references were just really really out of really felt forced and really awkward um Mm -hmm. but then and then the second episode happened and i i throughout the entire episode i was like why the 
did I say I would review every episode? I'm I don't even know <laughs> if I even want to watch this show anymore. Like I seriously hated every second of it because they were throwing in so many stupid buzzwords. Like it was like like the way the way I imagine it is and I'm sure that this isn't the case. I hope that this isn't the case, but I imagine that the writing staff of Scream is a bunch of like 30 30 to 40 year old people who Googled or, or like or like joined Twitter or something and kind of made a list of buzzwords that they want to throw into the episode. And like they – it's like – I mean it was just all all at once. It was like, oh, did you see this gif? Uh, who can resist a murder selfie? Um, mm-hmm. This Have you heard about this podcast that's called Serial? Oh, wait. No, it's not called Serial. They didn't actually say that. But it's basically Serial and it's like the most like – like I went on, I went on like a rant on on Facebook saying like, okay, I I appreciate what I I love podcasts, I love podcasting, I love everything about it, and I really, really, really love what Serial being a breakout hit did for podcasting in general. But that does not mean mm-hmm. that every single reference to podcasting in pop culture needs to be a reference to Serial because that is not representative of what podcasting is. So. Right. And so that was a little bit of a tangent, but the episode itself, it, like it just, it, I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care about any of the characters or anything like that. Then episode three, it's. I feel like I remember you said then episode three. I, mm-hmm. Hold on a second. Okay. I feel like they, um, I want to ask a teenager what he or she thinks of the show, like, you know. I, I feel like the first scream, Kevin Williamson uh, had a grasp on the way teenagers of the day sounded. Am I wrong? Um, I think you're right. Enough. Yeah. I mean, how they would sound in a horror movie. Yeah, I'll give you that. Well, I'm I may be biased because I'm also kind of in, including uh, Dawson's Creek in this a little bit, which Dawson's Creek just was not representative of how teenagers talk. You're right. Um but Scream was was kind of on the, in the same the same ilk of that but it was it was a lot more toned down and it was a lot more, you know. That that was one thing that struck me about the first episode of Scream is like they the characters have like their 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 classmate has died. A member of their clique has died. Mm-hmm. And if you remember in the first movie, there's that scene by the fountain <laughs> that really well well done scene where uh like they're kind of joking around about it saying like like kind of like oh i think you killed her and and like did you leave her liver in the mailbox cuz i heard yeah exactly next to her spleen and her pancreas so like that that's a nice bit of levity in the first movie but it's still kind of like you can tell they're all unsettled by what's happened there's a scene in the first episode that made me think that uh, I can't even remember the guy's name, Jake. I think the guy's name is Jake, the the one of the two guys that are you know colluding with whatever the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, like one, like there's a brief like uh, I think Riley says, uh, I can't believe she's just a body now, and then Jake is just like, well, she was always just a body. And I was like, dude, yeah, I hope this guy gets killed so hard, yeah. And it was like that was kind of how I felt about the whole episode and 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 the whole cast there. But anyway, in episode three, I kind of had this bit of insanity seep in where I was like, "Could I like this show?" Because I'm kind of enjoying this. Like there was a nice uh, a nice bit of episode three. You said, "Yeah, 
where yeah. the one I mentioned with the important character death. Exactly. The which I thought that that was a pretty enjoyable execution of, of a sequence of events because it kind of seems like they're building toward the the final girl of the show is uh, Emma. Uh, is She's presumably. terrible. She's oh, terrible. Oh, she's terrible. Every, every actor in the show is terrible. Um Everyone, um, the Randy character is kind of getting kind of getting on my side. I'm kind of pulling for He's him. He's the least offensive. Yeah, yeah. I'd, if I have to pick one, yeah. But if you don't, if you don't, if you divorce yourself from judging the the acting talent or anything anything like that, and you just kind of see where they're in, and you kind of look at how they're going, like the sequence of events in that third episode that led to that character's death, the way that they've this is like the the third third character of this series that's been killed off, and each one has kind of come with this this bit of uh, responsibility laid at the feet of the final girl of, of of Emma. And I kind of appreciate what they're trying to do with that, even if they're not really successfully doing that all that well. Right. So I can kind of to play devil's advocate. I think that that's pretty okay. Uh, the fourth episode, I won't spoil anything, but oh my, like I feel like I feel like you could probably skip the episode and then watch the previously's the next week because not Ugh. much happened, and it was like, I mean, like you said, it, there's not enough scares. It's 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 not a sustained scare. And like in the first episode, the Randy character is like you build them up and and you get to know these characters, and then and then so that when they get killed it hurts and that one death in episode three hurt a little bit because i was i was as emotionally invested in any of these characters i will be but yeah i don't know i i i'm a victim of stockholm syndrome with that you uh you mentioned that it wasn't scary at all and that's exactly right but what the show needs is is compelling soapy teen drama Mm. and i don't think it has it at all and that's that's what I want to ask one of my students. That's what I want to ask a teenager is, is it interesting? The most teen drama that there is, is the character of Will and Emma, their, their relationship, which like, okay, the dude banged another girl. Like they broke up. That's fine and everything. But what, what is the point of, and this is slight spoilers, but who the hell cares? It's, it's scream. So Mm -hmm. the whole plot line with, with Will and I believe the guy's name is Jake. Um, their little, their little side thing that they're doing is that they've, they've, they have videos, blackmail videos of, um, presumably of their classmates, like in various states of undress and they're making money. I think, yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's the, it's all the classmates or just, uh, the girl who died in, in the, the in first the, episode in the opener they uh yeah. they kind of you know they 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 uh they expanded a little more in episode four um okay but basically what they're doing oh my god episode four has such a horrible horrible way to end it's it's so it's so dumb you you'll Great. probably quit the show uh, but yeah anyway so they have multiple things like of, of ways of getting um of blackmail on people. So basically what they're doing is they're trying to get us emotionally invested in the main character's uh relationship with Will and how he's trying to redeem himself, which you know that by the end of the season he's going to sacrifice himself to the killer um to save her and whatever, and that, that'll get him killed or whatever. That's probably what's gonna happen. They're telegraphing okay. it so hard. But so basically what they're doing though is they're they're trying to get us emotionally invested in this relationship while also having him do this really uh shady thing that I mean 
technically, depending on the ages, it's he's basically, you know, could technically legally be peddling child pornography. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you can't really root for this guy. So I don't know. So that, uh. that's Scream, the TV show. It's I'm writing reviews on the website for it. And I will say that it's a lot of fun to write trash reviews of it. <laughs> Um and deconstruct what all I have problems with, but uh-huh. yeah, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on episode four when you watch it, Mike. Um, oh, I I can't wait. You yeah. sold it hard. Oh God, like that ending is like the most like there. There's a little piece of it that's kind of interesting, kind of cool, um, and f- like one of the first times in the entire show so far that I'm like that it felt like uh, something that would happen in a screen movie in terms of the pop cultural references and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, the way that it ends is such a such a like oh oops oh it's so lame it's so lame but yeah Ugh. tiny Ugh. I know you're getting kind of antsy to talk <laughs> no I'm good because you haven't watched any of Scream have you I have not I don't plan to either I don't blame you yeah just you're not, not I mean, a 14 year old girl <laughs> <laughs> well I mean we talked about Scream so many times I like the show or the the, the movie, movie the first one uh-huh. um all the other ones the the second one's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I'm just not as into them. But, yeah. Uh, I really like the first one though. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyways. Uh, Mike, do you have anything more to say about Scream? No. Okay. Tiny. Up next for me, I have only movies. That's fine. Um, the next one for me is Ex Machina. Um, this was written and directed by Alex Garland. Um, it looks like a really, a really cool and a very, um, uh, kind of groundbreaking, maybe, or maybe a genre-defining uh, example of a of a sci-fi movie about artificial intelligence. Um, maybe like deeply philosophical, and it it looks like a a really really good movie. And uh, I was ultimately really disappointed with it. Um, you mentioned oh, that. Oh no, That's, it's yeah. my current movie of the year. Movie of the year. Wow. I really wish I would have watched yeah, it now because I because I, I meant to watch it last night but I well, didn't have a chance to. So I wasn't re- ahead, I wasn't really disappointed with it. I was just disappointed. Um, I just didn't I, I didn't think it was very revolutionary. I didn't. It was lacking quite a bit of depth in my opinion. Um, it was. I I, I just I, maybe it's maybe part of the problem is my own expectations of it. It was it was a very plot driven film and I thought it was going to be a more of a, uh, a more morally driven show or movie or like a um, philosophically driven film but it it was just it was a pretty much a plot thing you were um, expecting more subtext more subtext yeah yeah that's a good way to put it um and it oh, just man, it did, i disagree really yeah I, I think it was full of it i i loved it hmm see i really didn't pick up on that um i th- there was plenty there's plenty of good things to say about it though uh, i really really appreciated the performances uh most notably from uh, Alicia Vikander. She's a the Swedish woman who played the artificial intelligence, the the cyborg or the robot, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, I've always been a fan of Oscar Isaac. I've I've always liked what he does. Um, his character was kind of um, not what again not what I was expecting. A little out of place, but I think it was all kind of part of the character, part of the act. Um, uh, and then Domhnall Gleeson was fantastic. I, I haven't seen him in a lot. He was featured very sparsely in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, he was one, right. one of the Weasleys. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't remember his first name, the character. Uh, but he, I just haven't seen him in much. Um, um, 
but I really appreciated what he did with this. He he kind of had an everyman feel to him um, at the beginning, and he ends up being uh, uh, much more than he appears to be. I guess not much more, but he just he he kind of has a an interesting turn throughout the movie. Um, and I thought uh, the camera work was great. Um, Alex Garland shot it really well. Um, I just I think my my issues were with the uh, the script and and just the direction that the movie went. Um, and again, this is all opinion. I mean, I'm sure there's other people who saw it and really liked it, but I I just thought it was uh, I I just I didn't if if there was subtext or the depth to it, I I didn't pick up on it. Um, Did he write the movie as well? Yeah, he wrote and directed it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I gotta say, I'm I'm really surprised. You, really? <laughs> usually. Uh... Usually we're defending ourselves against Matt, Tiny. Yeah. <laughs> we often see eye to eye, often on especially sci-fi mm-hmm. flicks. Mm-hmm. Snowpiercer, um, Interstellar. And the, yeah. You know, what's that? Uh, just saying Snowpiercer, Interstellar. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's also widely celebrated. <laughs> you know it, what I mean? Like <laughs> People like this movie. Is I'm it really? So, I'm shocked. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's getting really good reviews. I've been kind of staying away from it because I still haven't seen it and I'll I'll watch it before next week. So, yeah. Mm, okay. But Mike, what, what did yeah, what did you Time think Magazine is calling it uh, in, in the top 10 best of 2015 so far. Hmm. Wow. I had no idea. Huh. I had no yeah. idea. What, what, how'd you feel about it, Mike? I'm surprised. I loved it. What's that? I'm just curious what how you felt how you felt about it, what your opinions were of it. Well, I um, it's I I can't give as thorough a review as you did. I, I saw it when it first came out, which was back in April. So okay. um, it has been a while, and and also in your defense, it probably has been inflated a little bit in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really liked <laughs> the subtext. No, I, I <laughs> um. I think I agree that that it's it's um I mean it is a thriller so I think stakes are high enough that we must call it a plot driven movie so I'll agree with you there um however I I think what I liked so much about it is kind of the 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 duplicity of the the robot character mm-hmm. um uh, you know, and the duplicity of Oscar Isaac's character and, and you don't know what is what. And so while, while it, I, I think it makes subtle, um, and I, I guess if I'm on your side, not overly successful claims about, um, artificial intelligence, I, I think what it does extremely well is play with our perceptions of, of characters. And so, uh, while we're sitting here debating, um, our, is it good, our, our, artificial intelligence beings good or bad we're still not sure about certain humans being good or bad and i think that's what what the movie plays with um and also like you said the performances i i love donald gleason uh oscar isaac is becoming one of my favorites um the the robot character's name i, I wish i could remember her name but i can't um, I I, you know, I thought they were all fantastic. It, it was very unsettling initially, and and it kind of keeps that up uh, throughout mm-hmm. the movie. I can't wait to see it again. Cool. I'm I'm probably gonna yeah, need I like to. It. I'm probably gonna need to see it again. Um, I don't know. I thought the um, all of the uh, I guess the direction that things were going, I I pretty much saw it all coming. Really, I, I mean, it was. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was really predictable in that respect. Um, I, I think all of the characters had ulterior motives, and they were pretty pretty plain pretty uh 
mm-hmm. predictable. And I was like, yeah, the, I wasn't surprised by hardly anything that happened. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I think it was, that's why I was a little disappointed. I was hoping for something revolutionary or I just, I don't gotcha. think I quite got that from it. Interesting. Gotcha. I, uh, well, as we like to say on this podcast, well, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Mm-hmm. I just wanted yeah. it to, yeah, I yeah. wanted it to be like a nine, like a nine or a nine and a half out of 10, but I, I mean, I'd probably, like as good as interstellar was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd give it like a, I'd give it like a six probably. You know, just initially i'm i put this in the pod chat too like i've recently been uh kind of going through because since i've been firing off all these reviews from indie film fest i've been kind of reading more like reviews of of critics online and everything just of movies just you know just to read uh reviews and everything um (laughs) well one of my go-to like movie reviews like uh, go-to reviews for to judge a person's work uh, in terms of both podcasting and written reviews is to see what they thought of Interstellar. And I, I put this in the pod chat, but I found, uh, uh, Matt Zoller sites on, on, uh, uh, Roger His review of Interstellar. Who I, I dislike vehemently. Do you really? I do not. Yeah. Well, interesting. As you know, I, I frequent Roger Ebert's mm-hmm. website. I mean, that is, that's my go-to for movie reviews. Who's your favorite? Because I love Roger. What's that? Who's your favorite reviewer on the site? It's hard to say now because I I went for Roger Ebert. Right. And I think I I will say this, like the first two movie reviews I read after he died were Matt Zoller sites, mm-hmm. uh, sites. And so um I, I think that was kind of a big one a big problem for me early on was that like it didn't live up to uh-huh. Roger Ebert. You know what I mean? He had hmm. that he had had that yeah. going against him, so that kind of sucked. Um, Did you read? I don't his know. Review of Interstellar. I, what's that? Did you read his review of Interstellar? Because it was like I completely disagree with everything that he said in it. Uh, but yeah. he just had such a beautiful way of expressing uh, of expressing his opinion on it that I was like, this is really beautifully written. Uh, maybe yeah. not like it, it's not it's not Ebert, but I, I thought that it was. I really appreciated the way that his prose. Right. Ended, I guess. I mean, I liked it. Um, I read it when it came out, but I didn't mm. read it then. Uh, I, I, it, it's hard to say who my favorite is because I usually I just read the ones I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon Simon Abrams reads writes a lot of the horror ones. Okay. Um, so he like he's the one that comes to mind. But as mm-hmm. far as favorites, I don't know. I, I know that I miss Roger. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh when, yeah. I read some of his uh, for sure. Yeah, I read some of his older ones too. Like I've read his review for a Serial Mom. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I, I didn't want, to, I, I was going to, or I have, I intend to read his review of Little Giants, but he gave it one star. So I'm a little, mm. a little nervous about that. But anyway, so that's, that's a tangent. I'm, I'm Can, looking forward to seeing X before Machina. we go. Sorry. Yeah, please do. And, yeah. and uh, that's sorry. Before we move on uh, to your segment, man, I want to, mm-hmm. before we leave X Machina completely, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, I love doing lists. That was my last episode was the list. And so I I don't want to do that obviously, but, um, I think it's way more fun to do like top movies halfway through the year before all the Oscar bait movies come in. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, in the really highly touted, uh, you know, just, just kind of the movies like the theory of everything that came in at the last minute that mm-hmm. ultimately won't be remembered at all. 
I think I made that my top an, movie. And eh. yeah, you did like in the eleventh yeah. hour. It was like yeah. one or two or three, right? Right, but I but in, then again, I struggle. I struggle with lists anyway. But I I do see the, right. Like, that yeah, does, exactly. The, that final push for award season is it does color your opinion of the movie year overall. Exactly. Though. And I'm just worried that some theory of everything type unsung movies are going to come along and push movies like Mad Max out of people's top ten. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it totally. came out, what, in March or whatever? Yeah. 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 Like that is a top ten movie of the year. Mm-hmm. I we're s- going to forget it because some weird <laughs> is going to come out later on. <laughs> I don't think Mad Max. I, I mean, I know that's just an example, but I think that Mad Max is going to stick around on people's lists because I mean that got so much. Yeah, I think so too. but and I feel I think so too. Yeah, but I, I do see your point. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I didn't get around to seeing Mad Max, and I feel so. Me either. Yeah, I'm so I'm so pissed about that because I have I subscribe to a lot Neither of podcasts. Neither of you did. Nope. No. Nope. And I. Oh I, shoot, boys. Yeah. Yep. And I, I subscribe to a lot of podcasts, and I keep them categorized by like their topics so like i subscribe to a lot of movie podcasts and on my playlist for just mad max fury road episodes i have seven episodes of different podcasts (laughs) and i can't listen to them because i haven't seen the movie but yeah so i don't know so so tiny you said that ex machina is a six out of ten for you yeah probably about a six yeah pending a rewatch i guess i don't know maybe i was just in a bad mood or I don't know. Maybe the setting was just off, and I need to see it again. Yeah. But if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm the guy who didn't like Interstellar, so I totally appreciate your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys mind if I go next? Please do it. All right. Well, uh, for this for this segment of the uh, of my of my extended popery segment uh, segment, um, <laughs> there was. One of the big draws for Indie Film Fest is that they have a lot of short films from uh, from filmmakers from everywhere. Um, and so there was a lot of different, like, blocks of short films. Like, they had uh, they had one called Desperately Seeking Laughs that's all comedy, animation, uh, an animation block. They had uh, uh, one about <laughs> called Libido Lessons that's all, I, I guess, about sex and... Uh, and so they had a bunch of different ones, and the only one oh oh I should mention that there was one called um uh art artist uh portrait of an artist I think or yeah portrait of an artist and that had a had like three documentaries in the block and one of which was directed by uh, Kurt Nettleton who directed Intruder who is part of the uh, the, uh, the Billy and Brandon watch movies guys uh intruders right. the short film that we screened at last year shark over normington i didn't get a chance to see his short film it was about this uh guy that carved a, a catfish um out of wood i think something like that but uh but yeah i got a chance to talk to him at at film fest and it was really cool but um that's on his vimeo page though i'll link it to in the show notes and all that but anyway the one block of short films that i did get a chance to see was the hoosier reels shorts which those are um a collection of six short films that were either that had some kind of tie to Indiana. Either they were the the filmmakers were from Indiana, they were set in Indiana, they they were dreamed or created in Indiana, anything like that. They had some kind of tie to Indiana. And there were six films in six short films in this block and they were there was a there was a nice there was an interesting mix. I'll I'll just go briefly, I'll just talk I'll just bring up each one uh just really quickly. Um the first one was called Sweet Talk. It was uh, about a, about a 
I think it was based on a Joyce Carol Oates short story um, called Where Where Are You Going or Where Have You Been, Where Are You Going, um, which itself was based on a uh, the uh, a multiple murder in in Arizona and like the I don't I don't know when but anyway so it was kind of this this kind of disturbing uh, short film where this guy kind of goes up to this girl's house and sees this girl and he's trying to sweet talk her into going in a on a ride with him in a, in his car and the only thing that's separating them is a screen door. So it's kind of this this kind of moody kind of tension building kind of thing where eventually he's like he's like trying to trying to talk sweet to her and everything like that and then uh she's kind of has this naive curiosity but she's not sure how he's like if he's a threat or if he's you know if he's just going to have fun or he's someone to have fun with or whatever. So but then there's a turn like midway through it's like an 11 minute short film um that it he becomes clear that he's that he's uh, you know not He's he's a threat. So, though I really appreciate the way that the filmmaker kind of uh, kind of used close-ups. Like there was a very disturbing close-up that really really made the audience uneasy, and it was it was really you know it was effective. I rated it seven seven out of ten, and it was pretty good. Um, the second short film was my favorite short film of this block, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it's called What's Eating Dad, and. What it is, it, it was about a uh, a girl who is nervous about um, meeting her boyfriend's parents for the first time. And so sh- she's in this apartment with her boyfriend and she's cooking dinner and everything. And then the parents come to the come to come to the dinner, come to the house or the apartment. And then I won't give away what it is because and it's not available online yet. But if it is available online at some point, I actually I actually sent sent them a message on on Facebook asking if we can screen the short film at Shocktober and Irvington too because I loved it so much. It has this or- horror element to it where it's uh it involves zombies but that's it does what every like zombie zombie story does well. It it uses that as a as a uh, as a way to bring forth the subtext of like the what the short is about is about um the power of denial and how how to function in a relationship when you meet someone when you when you realize that a loved one has a shortcoming or a flaw or or anything like that it was just something that was demonstrated really really well and i really really appreciated it and i really loved it uh it ends on such a nice little poignant like moment and it's it's absurd because there's this this threat of a of a zombie in the room that's it's really powerful it was it was surprisingly powerful um i rated it nine out of ten it was really good uh yeah and then uh really quickly the thin brothers visit room 213 oh boy um this was not that good i uh unfortunately it it was like this okay you guys know how there's that common like trope i don't know i never knew that these films kind of existed but like that common trope of like a college film student who's making a really a really like um art art house black and white movie that where nothing makes any sense whatsoever and it's really like pretentious (laughs) yeah yeah that's what this was like for three quarters of it it was so weird it was like a black and white black and white shot where these two brothers who don't speak uh, and are dressed really weird and and really like just like don't emote anything. They receive a text message saying like uh room 213 
bologna bologna sandwich and then it goes through this really long drawn out thing where they go they they go to they go to presumably their a hideout or or their apartment or something and it literally like they just make bologna sandwiches sit down and eat them and then and then it goes to the next scene it's like it's so it's it was this really long drawn out thing it kind of reminded me of uh i feel like you just did like you just played that game where we say a movie title and then we write the movie <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah which by the way you can edit this out if you want mm-hmm. but we should do that next week oh if you my didn't God. have something yes. else planned mm-hmm. i didn't have anything else planned that is something that we'll have to do yeah. yes those are a blast oh absolutely totes oh yeah so um so anyway so so there's a turn in this and and okay when they're eating this these sandwiches all i thought was like in that moment mike specifically you remember how you hated tw- uh, 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> Yeah, didn't like it. Yeah, and you know how there were like scenes where, you know, the very very drawn out scenes where like I remembered specifically like there's a there's a scene where they're eating sandwiches before they go to the moon or go to the moon base where where they where they found the monolith. Mm-hmm. And also like the scene where uh at the end of the movie where where Dave sees himself eating and and stuff like that. Like those I those scenes that are really long drawn out art fair stuff like that. Right. Uh it felt like this was emulating that. <laughs> in a very negative way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was like, I was like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't bear it. But anyway, there's a turn in it that I can kind of appreciate it where it turns out that they're hitmen and they're, they're about to go do a job and basically, and it doesn't make really any sense at, by the end of it. I didn't like it. I rated it four out of 4.5 out of 10, but apparently judging from the Q and a after the, after the movie or after the screening, um, they said that, or they weren't there, but, uh, someone asked a question about it and one of the other filmmakers said that they that these filmmakers were using that as kind of a uh, jumping off point for a feature length film starring these two brothers and I was like hard pass I I wasn't a fan yeah. of it yeah so I'm sorry to so, sorry to be so long-winded about this but there's three more I'll go really quickly like I said last time um <laughs> dog bowl was awesome uh it was this about this woman that lives in kind of uh, de- um really just she's looks like she's clinically depressed she she doesn't have an emotional connection to anyone the m- person she has the most emotional connection to is her dog and uh she's very weird and she lives in squalor and filth and all that stuff she you know she it's it's a really kind of bleak depiction of someone who just doesn't care or can't force a connection so anyway so the whole the whole story is that she finds or she steals this lady's uh this dog's the service dog's vest and uh that brings about her that brings about that takes her on leads her onto a journey of self-discovery that's really surprising uh it takes a really weird turn at the end but it's it's a really nice uh a really nice rumination on what it means for to struggle to find human connection and to find yourself it was it was really well done i rated it eight out of ten um the last two one minded was fun. It was a, it was a, it was a South Korean movie, actually. Uh, the filmmaker is from Indiana, but he goes to school, uh, in South Korea and he filmed this short film where, uh, it starts with this guy walking out of an apartment building in South Korea and he's just sitting on the stoop smoking. And then two cat burglars come down off of the, uh, out of the elevator, not elevator, but out of the window descending by rope and they have this fan. 
And so the guy that's sitting there, he's like, so why, what's, why'd you take the fan? And so then it shifts and it goes, it goes into like a flashback mode where there's this woman in this apartment who turns on the fan and it oscillates. And the whole thing from there is one take, one long shot. That's this woman in the, this woman in the apartment with the guy that was on the stoop who's a one night stand she picked up at a club. And then as she like from there, hijinks ensue as the two cat burglars come in and then eventually her roommate comes in. And what it ends up being is it's a nice like uh, story about these two roommates um, and how much they care for each other. Um, it was it was really cool. It was really clever. It was really well well done. I rated it seven out of ten. <sighs> and finally, the last one in this block was unspeakable. Uh, I rated it three point five out of ten. It was uh it was this kind of sloppy um depiction of this of this of this African American girl in a diner in the deep south who escaped from the clutches of two really cartoonish over the top hilljack. Uh, would be kidnappers, would be rapists. That were like the dialogue was, was not really that well written. It was just like they were way too, way too over the top. And uh, she escapes from them, and then he, one of them, comes in and uh, comes into the diner and asks her how he escaped. And then it's this really, it, it was a message piece. Like it was about um, you know, racial intolerance and and stuff like that. And it was really, just really forced kind of message and it's it's a very important message and it's something that should be you know have a good vehicle to from which to deliver it but it it didn't it didn't do it for me it was it was really really disappointing i rated it 3.5 out of 10 wow. now someone else talk <laughs> <laughs> i think you're up mike yeah yeah um man there's so much to talk about did you guys see inside out i haven't seen it yet you haven't seen a pixar movie i haven't i you know I've been so busy. I haven't <laughs> I seen it either. Tiny, right, do you anyway. want to go see it? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. Well, then I'll talk about something else. Okay. Um, which uh, you guys, I don't think you've seen this either. Did you see Love and Mercy? No, I didn't even hear mm-hmm. about that. What? I don't think oh. I've heard of it. Okay. Love and Mercy is uh, a movie about the story of Brian Wilson, the, the kind of the brains behind the Oh, excuse me, the Beach Boys. Um, oh yeah, Paul Dano's in that one. Paul Dano is in it, very good, nice. and uh, and uh, John Cusack. So Paul Dano plays uh, uh, Brian Wilson, circa. Oh man, forgive me, I don't know the years. We'll say 1965. All right, during the recording of Pet Sounds. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then. John Cusack plays an older, uh, struggling, uh, mentally challenged – not mentally challenged. I mean he's not like – when somebody says mentally challenged and you think you, something comes to mind, he's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, drugs have kind of warped his mind. He's been through severe depression. Uh, two of his brothers have died. Um, and so he – one of his brothers has died. His other brother died later. Uh, so he, he's going through kind of a rough time. Uh, and so the film cuts back and forth between those two versions of Brian Wilson. Um, and as he is older, his manager, played by Paul Giamatti, is kind of this over, uh, overprotective, um, kind of more influential than he should be uh, manager type. 
Um, and so I, I won't say too much about what goes on there, but it, you know, if you know the story of Brian Wilson, you kind of know what that's all about. And so he meets, um, he meets a love interest, his, his, his would be wife. That That's not really a spoiler because if, if you know anything about him, uh, Melinda Ledbetter is her name played by Elizabeth Banks. And, and she is trying to help him break free from the control of, uh, Paul Giamatti, um, John Cusack. Or, uh, Brian Wilson's um, f- manager figure. So th- those scenes are really great, really compelling, uh, c- hard to watch at times. But um, And as much as I like John Cusack, what really did it for me was Paul Dano as the young Brian Wilson, uh, particularly during the scenes where he is writing uh, and recording the instrumentation and the early stuff pre-vocals to Pet Sounds. Um if you're usually they say you're either a Beatles fan or a, a Beach Boys fan, and I've always been a Beatles fan, but um, this this made me want to kind of discover everything there is to be discovered about the Beach Boys, just because the way it showed uh, Brian Wilson's genius, how he you know he would write the parts for every musician, and then he would kind of give the sheet music to every every studio musician in there, and then they would kind of just be. Imp- impressed with with what he came up with and um it's cool because you see how he's kind of influenced by the voices in his head but then also the voices in his head eventually lead to his destruction and um just as a musician i love movies that show the craft of songwriting and the craft of of recording music and um i could have watched two more hours of them in the studio recording pet sounds it was it was fascinating um so and that paired with with just the with just the tragedy of his life and the and the story later on is is really great if if ex machina is my my movie of the year so far um love and mercy is probably number two wow it's funny i i i know next to nothing about about brian wilson's story really yeah so yeah I'm, I'm very intrigued mm-hmm. hmm. i didn't know a whole lot either to be honest with you but oh. um Man, it's so good. Nice. Yeah, I really want to see it. I, I'm a big Paul Dano fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fan of John Cusack too much, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Please do. Cool. Tiny, do you want to... Yes. Is it your turn? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, my last last movie I have to bring up is... Uh, it's called Killer Legends. Okay. Uh, Did you want to bring up Trainwreck at all, by the way? No. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um... The movie's called Killer Legends. Uh, it's another documentary. Um, it's also on Netflix Instant. Um, and it's, it's not really a follow up, uh, to a previous, um, documentary I had seen and also mentioned on the, the podcast, but it's sort of in the same vein. Uh, it's, it's from the same director and writer. His name is Joshua Zeman. Uh, he wrote a documentary. I, I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned it back, uh, last October. Uh, it's called Cropsy. Uh, it's about, um, it's about a uh, an urban legend or like a local oh, yeah. local high tale from uh, uh, um, uh, Staten Island area when where he grew up about a an escaped mental patient who would kidnap children um, and then when he was a kid uh, kids actually did start disappearing uh, several kids over several several years went missing and um, and it sort of turned the urban legend true. Um, 
this this other documentary that I just watched called Killer Legends is sort of in the same vein. Same vein. He uh, the, the filmmaker uh, Joshua Zeman kind of went around and uh, he addressed very famous uh, urban legends from around the country, uh, four of them to be precise. And he he explored the how they became like their origins and he investigated uh some true crimes that may have inspired those urban legends um Interesting. and it really blew me away there was a ton of stuff that i really just did not know um the the first urban legend they reference is uh there's you know there's these two kids who are out on lover's lane and they're in the car making out and uh, you know the guy wants to go all the way and uh uh, radio broadcast comes over the radio yes. and says there's a man with a hook who escaped from a mental institution or something like that and he's out and about and everyone needs to stay in their homes and of course it spooks the girl and you know she hears a noise and she's like take me home now i have to go home now and he takes her home and on the way back they stop at a gas station and as he's putting gas in his car he looks at uh, his girlfriend's door and there's a hook on the door uh so the guy was about to get him that's 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 a, a version of it, but mm-hmm. I'm sure most people have heard that before. Um, and it turns out it's actually based on something similar. Um, nice. It, it was sort of a that urban legend. Urban legend was sort of propagandized into basically uh, adults kind of telling kids they need to not have <laughs> premarital sex in in their mm-hmm. cars. Um, but it, it also stems from some. I, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it references the movie um, uh, which Matt. Urban Legends? No, it references okay. the movie um, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which oh, okay. is, is <laughs> yeah. based on actual events. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I had I just had no idea. It was it was it's still an unsolved unsolved string of serial killings oh, yeah. um, from the city of Texarkana in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just really interesting. Uh, I, I was I really appreciate the way that uh, Joshua Zeman makes his movies, and and you can tell the guy just loves these spooky stories and it's it's just he has such a such a passion for it that's it's so cool to watch him just go to like a a local courthouse or 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 whatever kind of local government building and and dig through these old files of these cold cases and and he like they they don't they didn't like solve a case but they kind of like they kind of like found this they, they basically put a few things together and basically it's pretty pretty widely believed that this man committed these crimes in this one of the urban legends. I don't want to spoil any more of them, but right. um, just just the way they put these things together, just by looking at these old files, and I don't know, it just, it just has a really cool like zodiac feel to it. Um, nice, and it's I don't know, I just really appreciated it. It was it was a really good movie, um, and I'm pretty sure Mike, you said you saw it, right? I did. I watched it last uh, October, actually. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and I watched Cropsy, actually, oh, about a month or two ago. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I found it pretty boring, actually. Oh, I really? I remember thinking that it was um, – because they, they touch on Cropsy in Killer Legends, right? That's, yeah. Killer Legends is essentially f- like four segments, which is, which is kind of cool. It's like – it's almost a horror anthology movie yeah but it's these four it's a it's a documentary anthology and they're woven together it's not 
um, it's not at all episodic, but right. um, it takes these four these four legends and and kind of extrapolates them and, and investigates them. But anyway, Cropsy, I believe, is one of the four, right? No, no, it's not. Okay, no. It's Did not. they mention it? They mention it towards the beginning, just sort of. I think it's it kind it's of the, as a, a, a. It's the babysitter killer, the candy man, the car, and the killer clown, and the killer clown. Okay, yeah, yeah those that's are the right. four. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, man, I loved it so much. It was just mm-hmm. so. Uh, those are the kinds of documentaries I want to see. <laughs> yeah. I am not a documentary fan like you are, Tiny. Um, and it's hard, but th- this, it's cool. They kind of, they do the same thing that a really good horror movie does, but I think even better because it's it's real. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of like you said how they don't really come to any conclusions what what i think is cool about it is kind of with in all four of the segments at the end they go so this probably came from this is essentially the conclusion mm-hmm. that they make which i which i think is both safe and cool and interesting because it it kind of keeps their status as legends but also says well it's most likely this you know what i, I mean kind yeah. of shed some light on it exactly it's still <laughs> mysterious but you know, they're cautious tales for a reason. Right. Yeah. Very cool. I'm yep. going to have to check the, both of those out. I'm I'm very curious. Yeah. Cool. Uh, does that bring it back to me? I think so. All right. Well, uh, so continuing on my talks about uh, Indie Film Fest, um, there was one movie that I, when I looked through the program at, on opening night, there was one movie that really, really really sounded right up my alley and <laughs> you guys may you guys know me so you 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 may know why um it was about a it, the movie's called Night Owls and it's about a guy who uh has a one night stand with with a woman who turns out to be his boss's ex his his the jilted ex-mistress of his boss uh, and she's taken a bunch of sleeping pills, and he needs to keep her awake all night, uh, mm-hmm. lest she dies. And uh, as a fan of one night movies, um, this was really, really good. It was. Uh, <laughs> it stars Adam Polly Pally from uh, from Happy Endings. We 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 all we all know him and love him. Um, and it is a really solid comedy premise itself but it leads into this dramatic kind of uh uh study of these two characters who not necessarily define themselves but who are entranced by this one person in their lives so basically let me let me explain this further adam pally plays a guy who is like an assistant coach for a a small uh college football team organization organization and the uh, the head coach is his idol and mentor, who he's he's you know he's idolized for his you know his entire life basically, and he's he he wants to he made him want to go into coaching and all that stuff. Uh, Madeline is the ex mistress who is in love with the guy with with the uh, the head coach guy, and what that makes it, it, it creates this really interesting dynamic between them where. Um, Kevin, played by Adam Polly, he is this uh, kind of kind of really polite, really timid, um, really straight laced guy, and he's confronted by this woman who is at first kind of depicted as the the crazy the crazy bitch lover, um, 
but she you eventually like kind of, kind of come to learn that she's there's more to the relationship than that and so he's confronted with this with this very wildly different perspective of who he the guy he idolizes and patterns his whole life after while also um Madeline is in love with this same guy and is discovering how much uh how much how much he how much he is manipulating her and the people around him and so there's it's this really fascinating kind of dynamic where they have these conversations about about this guy and i i forgot i kind of buried the lead they're in the head coach's house and uh that's kind of a big a, a big part of it but it's really it's really fascinating it's a really good uh character study of uh, of two characters who both idolize and idealize this this figure in their life who is toxic um, to those around him, and it's it's it was really fun. It was really good. Um, yeah, I, I wrote a review of it on Obsessive Viewer, and uh, also I should mention that I got a chance to see this. I, I was really excited to see it, but uh, there it, it had two screenings during Indie Film Fest. Uh, both screenings I couldn't make it to. Fortunately, the way Indie Film Fest operates is that they, uh, I think like two nights into it, they have uh, awards night, which, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was on Saturday, where they basically announce the winners of, like the jury winners of the of the festival. And uh, they have them separated into different uh, different categories. Like uh, there's there's American Spectrum, which are movies made in America, World Cinema, which were international films, Matter of Fact, which were documentaries, and uh, one other one I can't remember. But American Spectrum was the one that that Night Owls was, fell under, and it won the jury prize for for American Spectrum Best of the Festival. So what they what they do is on Saturday, the last Saturday, the the last day of the festival, they have best of the fest screenings. So basically, what they do is they have um, blocks of the best of each category and it's paired with the short film and the feature that won that category from the festival. So it was a really cool. I was really happy that night owls won. So I got the chance to see it and it, it, it deserved it from the limited number of movies I saw. It was really, it was really good. Um, and I also want to just talk really briefly about the short film that was, uh, that was played before it. It was the best of American spectrum short film. It was called the answers and it may be the best thing that I saw at all of Indie Film Fest. Uh, hmm. Holy shit. It was uh, incredibly moving. It was basically... It's, it's a very popular thought experiment on screen. It's basically this guy wakes up and he's surrounded by white light and it's basically he's, he's died and now he has a chance to ask any question about his life. And like, I'm getting chills and like, I'm, I'm almost on the verge of not, not really on the verge of tearing up, but I can kind of feel like a little welling up there because first of all, it's hilarious. He asked the standard questions. How many times did I masturbate? How many times did I have sex? All that stuff. But as he goes along in this, there is uh like, he asked the question, what is the, uh, what's the closest I came to buried treasure? And it just shows him with, yeah, like him with a hang glider and a woman. And then he sees the woman. He's like, no, skip it. And then as the short film progresses, you learn more about the relationship he had with this woman. And it's so, so uh, moving, so incredibly moving because it's it's 
a very powerful statement about the fleeting, the fleeting nature of human connection. And, uh, it kind of really unravels when he, when he asks, uh, he asks out of every, out of every person on the planet, who is the woman that was best suited for me? That was, that was my soulmate or whatever. And, uh, it shows her and that kind of asks, leads him to ask more questions. And it kind of, it's this very powerful, very powerful, very moving statement about, about, you know, not letting go of things that are near you and, and all that. It was very moving. I, I was, I was fortunate that night owls was really good because it would have set the bar ridiculously high and it would have made for a terrible viewing experience if night owls wasn't that good. Um, but the answers, it was directed, written and directed by Matthew or Michael good. Um, and my God, it was, it was the best thing that I saw at any film fest. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. awesome. Sweet. I, I hope it's online. It's what I'd, I'd love to see that. Me too. They have the trailer. I, I embedded the trailer in my, uh, review of night owls and the answers that's on the site. Um, but man, I really hope that I can find it online. I'm, I, it's funny cause the, uh, uh, I, I was trying to track down the director and, uh, he has a Twitter account and, uh, <laughs> The one tweet this guy did mm-hmm. was this this uh, kind of deep, kind of humorous um, uh, tweet from Neil deGrasse Tyson from 2012 um, about about how how to live your life and everything like that. It's it's very fitting that that guy went on to direct this this short film that moved mm-hmm. me so so much. So so yeah, the the answers. It's yeah, it's uh, hopefully hopefully it goes online somewhere. But it was really really good. Very cool. Sweet. Uh, Mike, you are up. Yeah, I'll, I'll do one more. Okay. Um, just really quick, I want to mention that I'm super excited for Halloween, which is coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, August, September, October, so three months away, two yes. and a half months away. Um, also, uh, did we mention that Halloween has been announced? Have I? Halloween Returns. Yeah, you mentioned was that it. before I took a break. Okay. It was uh, no, um, it was after we uh, we talked about it on the podcast, but we didn't get your input on it. I don't hmm. think did we? I can't remember. I thought he, I thought I he don't did think so. It. We we might have. Anyway, I'm excited about it. It should be awesome. <laughs> right. uh, but the other thing I wanted to mention is I saw uh, a movie called The Den on mm-hmm. Netflix. Uh, uh, found footage movie, of course. It's um. The movie Unfriended came out a couple months ago, and it was mm-hmm. it kind of all took place on the main character's desktops, their computers. He like over Skype, um, and it was okay. It, it had some effective scares, but overall, it was pretty pretty stupid. I feel like The Den is a better version of that. C- kind of the same idea. We get this story uh, based on this this woman's desktop uh, camera. And so uh, I, I, there's really not a lot to say except that some scary things start to happen. She uh, She's doing this. Do you remember Chat Roulette, which was kind of popular for <laughs> yeah. about a month, yeah. four years ago? So she's doing this experiment uh, with her with her school uh, and she wants to she wants to kind of just do Chat Roulette all day long. Uh, and kind of document who she meets. And so one of the people she meets, uh, the video is just a, a, a stream of some scary stuff. And then so scary stuff starts to happen to her. And it's, it was just uh, really good, um, unexpected scares and, and you know, kind of a a treat, a diamond in the rough of some really crappy Netflix horror movies. Nice. <laughs> so it was better than Unfriended? 
Oh, uh, yeah, I'd say better than Unfriended, yeah. Nice. I didn't get a chance to see Unfriended, but uh, the premise kind of intrigued me, so I might have to check out The Den then. Do it. Interesting. Um. All right, so I'll I'll wrap us up and we can we can finish up here. Um, the last movie of Indie Film Fest that I saw was uh, the closing night film, which was Wildlike. Uh, this movie starring Bruce Greenwood and this young actress from I think she's English, um, huh. uh, named uh, uh, Ella Ella Purnell. Uh, basically, and Tiny saw this with me. It's it's the story of this woman or this girl who after the death of her father is uh sent to Alaska to Juneau Alaska to live with her uncle while her mother kind of they they're not really clear but it's kind of seems like she's dealing with some mental issues mental health issues as a result of the loss of the girl's father um so she's at she's so she's at her uncle's house in Juneau Alaska and then I won't give away what happens because it's it's a pretty uh it's a rough movie, but something happens that makes it clear that she is not safe living in that house. So, and it's really disturbing, really upsetting to see it. And it's not graphic or anything. It's just, it's just, it, it was really made me uneasy. Um, so the whole movie is that she, she goes on the run. She leaves, she leaves the, she leaves her uncle's house and, uh, goes on the run and then meets up with Bruce Greenwood, who is this guy who is uh, backpacking across uh, Alaska, the Alaskan, you know, wilderness. He, he's, he reluctantly becomes the one positive force in her life as she works through this trauma that she went through. And it's, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I, I thought that it was a really strong focused um, depiction of what, what this girl went through and how she deal she dealt with the trauma she went through it felt it felt disturbingly realistic and uh there there are scenes where she she communicates with her with her uncle while she's on the run and uh, the the uncle's played by Brian Garrity who he was uh he was in the Hurt Locker and uh he was in a few episodes of or a, a season of Boardwalk Empire and he like he was the co-pilot in Flight but he he's popped up here and there, but man, his performance like he's uh, I, cr- more credit maybe due to the screenplay, but uh, the delivery of the lines of like this kind of uh, it just felt really and I, I'll, I'll steer clear of spoilers, but it felt it felt very authentic to the character that he was on that he was written as. It's like uh, he's where they could have made him a monster. They made him a monster, but it's a more nuanced. Uh, there's, it's more chilling when it's when it's a nuanced and focused depiction of him instead of making him like uh, a more uh, more aggressive threat. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, he he didn't. Uh, he was he was the definition of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was very emotionally manipulative, and uh, very disturbing um which was an interesting thing to see for uh, i mentioned this to matt an interesting interesting thing to see from brian garrity because he's always a very protagonistic and kind of a good guy character Kind of a boy scout guy boy scout there you go that's a great way to put it yeah that's kind of how he feels throughout most of his performances but this was Mm -hmm. just an absolute this was the polar opposite of that yeah and uh the movie overall was really good i i really enjoyed it i loved the uh interplay between bruce green greenwood and this and this young actress but um the ending kind of fell apart for me a little bit. It mm. was kind of uh, it left on a note that 
it was ambiguous. It was, you know, I, I wrote in my review that I posted at episodesreview.com that um, <laughs> it was it was it was like uh, two feet away from ambiguous. I didn't say that in the review, but it was basically mm. like it felt less like it was an ambiguous ending and more like it was an incomplete thought, um, and that maybe they it felt like it was kind of going towards something like a big statement about these characters or something like that. But then it just, it, it ended like maybe 30, 40 seconds too soon. And it was, it kind of, it didn't really have an effect on me because I felt like there was putting in this, these characters on a journey that would lead to a satisfying conclusion. I, I just, I couldn't really make sense of how they ended it. Um, but overall it was really good, really strong performances and really beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, views of of Alaska. It yeah, was, it was just it was gorgeous. They captured the setting really well. Yeah, without shoving it in your face all the right. time. It was filmed yeah. on location, so it's like it was yeah. basically. It, it was just from Denali National Park. Yeah, it was just yeah. it was shot just beautifully. Um, yeah, I, I I echo all that. I I just love Bruce Greenwood so much. Me too. He he just he can do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just one of those. Such a versatile actor, um, and I was blown away by uh, Ella Purnell, the the young mm-hmm. girl who who was in this. She she she's wise beyond her years, I think. Yeah, I was. I really liked it a lot. Yeah, uh, that was it. Was a really good movie. I rated it seven point zero out of ten, which may be a little bit of a disservice to it, but um, I'd probably give it a seven point five, maybe. Nice. So okay. yeah, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. So if if it's called Wild Like, if it's in your area, or it's on, runs on Netflix or something like that. Definitely check it out. I think they're trying to get. Uh, I think it's going to play in theaters eventually, um, at least a limited run. So if it's in your area, check it out. Yep. Um, yeah, does that about do it? Or Tiny, do you want to just say some brief things about the after party, the closing night thing? How'd you feel about Film Fest? Uh, it was great. Yeah, the the after party was really cool. I mean, it's it's it was it was a, an example or like a a gesture about how much these these people who run this festival really care about local film and mm-hmm. like independent film, and they just love the art of it. You know that. It was just cool that they actually had an after party and there was food there and you got a free drink and um you know they had these really cool local sponsors um mm. and and you know the people there were pretty pretty friendly and wanted to talk to you about stuff so Yeah, that's definitely what struck me. Um like I, I mentioned this last week when talking about uh sleeping with other people but like next year for for sure 100% I'm cover I'm taking time off of work. I'm getting an all access pass and I'm covering as much as possible with yeah. it. And I'm I'm really excited about it even now. But um I mentioned this in my closing closing thoughts and this will be the last thing we talk about here uh, unless Mikey if you have something. But um I, I do Okay. Um but I like <laughs> it's funny because I I read I read the book Film Critic by Laramie Legal like late last year. And something that really struck me about it is I mean like I don't I don't view us as professional film critics at all like the kind of the big uh one of the big things about obsessive viewer and from my perspective the reason i started the blog and what i what i what i want to impart on the podcast and and what we do at obsessive viewer is that we're giving our perspective on movies and it's not necessarily we're not professional critics or anything like that but the big thing about obsessive viewer is that it's it's how we feel about movies and how we feel about tv shows and how how our personal experiences inform our opinions of these things and 
<laughs> with Indie Film Fest, like it was so much fun to pretend I was a professional film critic. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just it was just really fun, really a really unique experience. I've never done anything like it before. I basically went to as many screenings as I could and could afford and then wrote up reviews for everything I saw and it was just a blast. And when I read when I read Film Critic, uh one thing that struck me about it was that how he was just really, really negative about basically his career. And um like we all do this at the hobby level and like he he has a big passage about how how Sundance is just a grueling experience because he has to go watch all these things and write about it and all that stuff and it's a really draining experience. Who is this? His name's Laramie Legal. He uh he writes for some I don't know if it's an online publication or if a, a newspaper or, or what. I can't really remember. But he was on Slash Filmcast, uh, a, a guest okay. spot every now and then, and that's how I found it. But um, so like he just had a lot of negative things. I wrote a review of the book on Obsessive Book Nerd, and I kind of outlined my my problems with it. But he was a very negative. He had a very negative, a lot of negative things about it, and it was very disheartening to hear it to read it because, like I said, I do this at the hobby level. We do this at the hobby level, and. Maybe someday I would want to try to do something like at least like like up it to like the freelance level or whatever, do like guest reviews and stuff on other other sites and stuff like that and try to do something out of it. But that was just such a bummer uh, to read how negative he was on it. And then to go from that, having that kind of in the back of my mind a little bit. Um, now, granted, Sun <laughs> covering Sundance Film Festival for for like a, a for real publication is wildly different from going to a handful of screenings at Indie Film Fest and writing something on a personal, like a self-imposed deadline for a website that I created and, and run. Right, um, right. Wildly, wildly different. But I had such a blast experiencing this and kind of kind of dipping my toes into this... Uh, into this this different arena of of film critiquing i guess or or writing and it was a nice it was a fun challenge for myself because i like i'm i'm not uh i'm not i'm not a or i'm i'm kind of known for making very big from having very big ideas and very big uh uh, thoughts for for what we can do and what i can do and all that stuff and and all that and like to to just Thinking like, okay, I'm going to cover this as much as I can, and then following through on that and doing that, um, much to the chagrin of my bank account. But um, to do, to do that and to do that was just a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to doing it more next year. And then also, Heartland Film Festival is coming up in October, so hopefully, I'll be able to do something like that for that. Cool. The end. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So that about does it for us then, correct? Yeah, that's a lot. It is, yeah. yes. We covered a lot of ground. Mike, love having you back yes. for the next 34, 48, 130 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to be back. This is fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> the bike yeah. the bike leaves and then comes back months later. I don't know. Uh, that <laughs> analogy ran away from me. But... <laughs> Anyway, so of course we'll throw it to the pre-recorded outro, and then uh, yeah, uh, check out. I think next week I'm going to throw the pilot episode of anthology, the my solo side project, 
uh, podcast that discusses or, or dives into sci-fi storytelling during television's golden age. Uh, I'm going to throw that on the feed here next week. Um, and we'll, you know, hopefully if you like it, you'll subscribe to it on its, on its feed, which I'll start up next week. Um, for more information on that, go to anthologypod.com. Basically, I'm taking two episodes of the Twilight Zone, every episode of the podcast, and discussing them and, and giving background on, on my feelings on it and all that and kind of some trivia, too. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's another one of those challenges that I'm in way over my head about. So, you know, hopefully hopefully I can uh, do it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, that about does it for us, then. Anything else you guys need to say? No. I don't think so. All right. Well... We'll see you guys next week, and thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Jinx. Ha. Uh, <laughs>The Obsessive Viewer podcast on October 16th, 2015 at the Irving Theater in Indianapolis for The Obsessive Viewer presents Shocktober in Irvington Part 2. It's a one-night event screening of short horror films from local artists J.P. Leck and Snapshot Productions. There will be giveaways, raffles, interviews with the filmmakers, and so much more. All proceeds will go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. Go to shocktoberinirvington.com for more details and prepare to be shocked. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at IamMikeWhite. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>